the Radical Thursdays podcast. Um, this, this is our second episode and the beginning of our series of introducing a bunch of radical youth who are changing their world and their environment. So today we have with us Jalen Brown, and she is going to talk to us a lot about how education Uh, There's a lot of inequality within the education system. So, Jalen? Hi, my name is Jalen Brown. I'm a sophomore and I'm a political science major. What got you interested into political science? Um, Honestly, I was 15 in the 2016 election um, and I saw the obvious kind of divide that was starting to happen within our um, nation. And I really, really did not like the manner in which people were talked about during that election. I'm not gonna go into like specifics, but racial and just um, um, the disabled community and just all these different factors were being talked about during that election. And I really wanted to be a part of change in helping our nation progress. So I thought that political science was the major for me. So, um, so obviously, so you're a sophomore. So, um, last year you were on campus and everything. I'm assuming. Okay, and then COVID hit, and we were in quarantine. So, can you tell us a little bit about Education Unlimited Incorporated? Is what's called, right? Yeah. Okay, and um, just kind of how it started and all of that. Okay, so um, quarantine hit, and. I had previously, like the first day of campus, we were forced to go to this talk. And there was this woman and her name was Nadia Okamoto and she went to Harvard and she was like 21. So she was around our age. And she started this nonprofit organization called um, Period. And it was legitimately about giving like women access to um, tampons and pads, things that they needed, homeless women. and it just became this very big nonprofit organization. That was the first day that I'd been on campus and I started a folder in my Google Drive and it was called nonprofit the day after that like whole talk. And I was like, this is something that I wanna do. Um, And then school started and I was like, okay, I'm pushing this aside. I don't need to think about this. But when quarantine hit, I realized that this was the perfect time for me to start this because I had more time on my hands than I ever had before. So Education Unlimited um, was a name that my co-founder, Alexander Vega, thought of. And I called up all my friends, including Allie, and I was like, hey, I have this idea. Do you wanna help me? Like, and there became Education Unlimited and our five other co-founders. And for those of you guys that don't know, Education Unlimited is just a nonprofit that focuses on education inequality within Connecticut. Um, so what really, because there's a lot to, of different kinds of activism. Kenny and I focus on food activism. Um, education Unlimited obviously focuses on education activism. So what kind of made you choose education activism over something more like um, political in a different way? Right. Um, I think it was mainly 
we all went to the same school. So I think it was mainly getting to see how we were treated in my school, um, my high school, and um, then meeting a whole lot of people who weren't treated the same way, who didn't have the same access to education, who basically were stepping in kindergarten and being two steps behind where we were just because of the school that they went to. And um, when we're talking about low-income people and low-income communities, the main way that the United States um, tries to like say that you can get out of it is through education. But how are they supposed to do this if we set them up for failure the moment they step into the classroom? And I thought that that was something that I wanted to change and that a lot of my friends wanted to change. So that's why it was education. Um, what's the main focus of Education Unlimited? Um, so during COVID, we really planned on just giving people um, access to the internet. That was the most important thing that we wanted to do. So through petitions and like sign and contacting state representatives so that people could have access to the internet. That is the only like that's the only way that we could um, that students can learn during this time. But like also honestly, giving schools that are underfunded um, materials that they need, like notebooks, pens, pencils. Um, eventually, we planned on doing computers, but you know, computers are really expensive, so that's not really in the budget at this point, but small things that people kind of don't really know, um, that people don't really think twice about really make an impact when it comes to low-income schools. So just giving kids um, things that are really small, but are really necessary at the same point. Awesome. Um, and Kenny talked about, we talked about last meeting, how Kenny is actually into, or she's studying special, early childhood special education. And so, yeah, so um, I am early childhood special ed major. And so I, one of the reasons why I personally got into it. I mean, I, anyone who knows me knows I absolutely love kids um, with my whole heart. So I want to work with them. But also if I did, I chose special ed um, just because like within education inequality in itself, the difference between gen ed and special ed is crazy. Um, just with like materials and everything. Um, so I'm focusing mainly on that, but it's very similar to how you're focusing on just school districts in general. Um, so that's really, really amazing. Um, how do you plan, so you're a political science, do you foresee um, there being a way of you like eventually evolving Education Unlimited to kind of like work with your political science major? Um. Yeah, um, honestly, I plan on becoming a lawyer. So I'm on the pre-law track. So I feel like a nonprofit organization could eventually evolve into something bigger with like the need for like legal assistance. So, I mean, I do want this to become a bigger organization. I want it to get its feet off the ground because honestly, that's really hard to do, especially right now. But um, I see it working really well with my future degrees. So cool. That's so cool. So you touched on how it's hard getting things off the ground now. You, like you mentioned, just started this nonprofit during quarantine from having extra time on your hands. What are 
some, what were some of the hesitations you had going into creating this nonprofit and how were you able to overcome it? And what are some advice or what's some advice you would give to younger people to get to the place where they can just get the balls running or what, is that the term? Ball rolling. <laughs> Ball rolling? Yeah. Yeah. Um, honestly, the biggest hes- hesitation was like, is anyone going to care about this? Um, you know, it's not something that's really talked about, especially in Connecticut, because Connecticut is currently ranked either fourth or third um, best nations for education right now. But we are also ranked number one for the biggest um, opportunity gap. So that's honestly, when we talk about Connecticut's education system, it's typically a good thing. We're talking about how great we are at education. Bringing up that we aren't so great in some aspects is daunting um, because, you know, not everyone's going to agree with me. And there's statistics that legitimately say that Connecticut's really good. So I was scared that people wouldn't really understand or people wouldn't care about um, what I was talking about. I think as a young person, though, you have to take a chance, right? You are young enough to be honest, like if this didn't work out, I could have just started over and done something different. Like take that chance, take that leap. Um, You definitely have the ability. And I think that people do care, honestly. And I found a lot more supporters than um, I thought possible. So I think that's something. Ironically enough, or maybe not ironically enough, Kenny and I, junior year of high school, we were enrolled in this class called AP Seminar. It's Legitimately just a class on research. Uh, Don't lie, roll. That was a good class. We cried a lot, but it was a good class. Um, And one of our papers was actually on education inequality. um, And I looked a lot more at how income can affect education, like you said. And, yeah, a lot of people don't want to talk about the fact that education specifically in Connecticut, there are huge gaps. We are typically known for as a pretty wealthy state, but in doing that, we kind of diminish the voices that maybe aren't as wealthy as the average income. And I think we forget that education inequality is a real issue and we don't want to talk about it or admit it. And along with that, when you don't have... I mean, we talked about this a lot in our meetings uh, past like two years or so for from the ground up about specifically in DC, when we went on our DC trip, we learned about this, that people in lower income neighborhoods oftentimes have to rely on SNAP benefits to uh, make up for income that they don't have to buy nutritional means. And a lot of times people in low income neighborhoods also happen to live in food deserts. And a lot of, it seems simple, the concept of, it just makes sense. But when you're not getting enough nutrients in your body, you're not able to perform as well on tests that ultimately uh, impact your school's funding, which is crazy. It doesn't seem right. I mean, if you would think that if you didn't do well on a test, you should be able to get more funding so you can, you know, get more resources and do better. But that's not the case. Um, unfortunately, the better you do, the more funding you get. And 
We've seen it in Granby, uh, Connecticut, despite the fact that we are known as a really good education system. We don't have a school breakfast program because of where we live, and it's fine. But on days of test days, so for, I don't know, we haven't been in a position where we've had to take school tests for a while. Like CMTs, CMTs, right? Yeah. We would give kids breakfast before they take it. And it's because it boosts your ability to perform and to concentrate. And that's how, I mean, activism and problems, they all intersect. It's crazy what they intersect. So. Yeah, that one, I forget like when it came up in one of our meetings, I think this was junior year. And Alicia was telling us about how, like, right before CMTs or before standardized testing, those were the only days throughout the whole school year that the school would provide breakfast to the kids. And when I heard that, that just blew my mind that it truly shows, and it's nothing against our town or district, because this is a um, nationwide thing and just a, I don't know, it goes beyond just, like, our town, for sure, but just the fact that um, test scores are put above the well-being of their kids on the day-to-day basis, and suddenly, like, the kids' nutrition only matters when it does play into funding and play into your standing as a school is very shocking and, I think, extremely sad. Um, But, yeah, that was one fact that really, like blew my mind that that's true like that's one of those things that you wish it isn't true but it probably is for your town as well it's true for everywhere um yeah while we were in dc we talked we met with dc kitchen and just talked about um like the poverty in dc and like the inequalities there so have you noticed in your research of starting education unlimited um any other forms of, or like any other barriers kind of impacting um, the lives that you're trying to reach beyond just education? Right. Um, Yeah, there are lots of barriers impacting the lives that um, I'm talking about. We're talking about, well, when I speak of typical education inequality, it happens to be in low-income areas. So low-income areas have a whole lot of issues that um, affect the students. So we talk about like poverty, um, racial, racial education inequality is actually a big thing that I had never really looked into until starting this. Um, there is, yeah, as you talked about, like food inequality and um, housing instability that a lot of these children are just going through while they're also being impacted by the educational differences. And it's, it's a lot. It's, it's honestly unfair. Yeah, you were, I mean, even like, housing like we're so blessed that we don't have to think about that but like there are five-year-olds who are trying to like just start their education they know nothing about the world and they're having to move from like house to house from place to place um which is just crazy one thing that you said that was very interesting which i have always thought about not okay not always recently thought about is racial um So we grew up in a predominantly white town. I think it's 98% white if I'm maybe 96, like high, 
predominantly white town. And all three of us are um, not white. <laughs> Stella's half white, but we're like minorities. So um, I know personally for me, and this has been one thing that I've really, uh, I have a goal of while I'm in college and away from my town is to really, um, okay, I'll start with this. So right before I went to school, my mom and I were talking and my mom said for her, she wanted, or for a lot of people, they want to start meeting people that aren't like them in like in college and you start learning about different cultures. But for me and for like what my mom went through and everything, I want to start meeting people who are like me and who have like, who are black and who have these different aspects because I growing up in a predominantly white town have predominantly white friends. And so I never honestly really thought of my race as, I don't know, like I never really thought about it when I was hanging out with my friends or anything. Um, But even like looking again at inequality, like between like with race, I mean, race plays a role in everything, obviously. And especially in today's culture, it most definitely has. Um, But with education, like the separation between students and having how like towns like ours will bus kids in it because the fact that these cities, these inner city students are not receiving the same quality of education because of a variety of factors as well as racial. And then when they come here to predominantly white towns, they are receiving education that is Eurocentric and is not even reflecting what they see growing up, growing up, which I think plays a very big role in like students' identity and trying to figure out who they are as a person. Yeah, I can definitely attest to that. It's definitely, one thing I'd like to point out, and I don't want to have, like, put our town on blast or anything, but um, racial discrepancies when it comes to education definitely still occurs in a town such as ours. Um, I recently was doing a project, and I looked up our town. It was about education inequality, um, and the Black students in our town are 5.4 times less likely to take an AP class. The Black students right. in our town are 16.8 times more likely to be suspended from school. Now, if you would look at the dynamics of our town, um, there aren't that many black students in our town. (laughs) So the fact that, you know, the minority population is being suspended 16.8 times more than the majority white population, that's an issue. And the fact that um, even though um, most of the black students in our town started with us in kindergarten, they are 5.4 times less likely to take an AP class that's an issue. Um, And that has to do with the way that the school functions, the way that teachers deal with these students and the education that they receive, the Euro, as you said, Kenya, the Eurocentric education that they receive. Um, And I think that, you know, that's something that most majority white towns need to talk about, the way that they treat their minority students. Yeah, one thing that I remember, and actually this happened to, so I have three siblings, not four, I have three siblings, there's four of us, and none of us ever talked about this until maybe like three years ago until we realized we all had the same exact thing. And one thing that I specifically remember all of us do is the end of the school day, like first day of school, and we moved 
four times in my in Granby. So um, I was always I had just a different loca- like different bus. So I didn't know what my bus was. And every time I would like start a new school, I would I would be lost. Like, where's my bus? And the bus drivers not so sometimes the staff at the school, but even the bus drivers themselves would say, oh, the Hartford bus is over there. And I was like, oh no, like I live literally right up the street. And they look at me and they're like, oh. And it's just so interesting how the, uh, I guess just like idea that all minority students have to live in a, like have to be bussed in is very interesting. And that just shows that it isn't just within our school, it's just everyone, it's just the culture that we live in which is uh, very sad, but yeah. Right, yeah, I've definitely had that experience too, so. Okay, well, go Um, ahead. It's interesting that you bring up how minorities tend to not gravitate towards honors and AP classes because actually right when quarantine hit and Kenny and I had a little more free time on our hands whether or not we had schoolwork, not the point. Um, And we were thinking about it because we had begun, at that point we had begun talking about and having these race discussions because of the whole increase in uh, Black Lives Matter movement and how it's affected Grammy in particular and how no one really wanted to talk about it and was kind of diminishing uh, minority voices, which was a whole nother issue. But one day we sat down and we're like, wait a minute, why are we, how can people say to strive for whatever you want? You're in a good education system. You can do whatever you want. And these guidance counselors are telling you this. You can become anything. But there are no, like the percentage of across the school, and we went and we calculated this, of teachers in positions that were minorities was less than 5%. Um, And that was across the district. Within the school systems, a lot of the people that were in minorities happened to be janitors. Uh, So they weren't even teachers. So how can you tell kids to strive and go for their dreams when you don't even have a person in a position to show them that it's possible? We don't have, you know, a representation of people of color in teaching positions at all, and even less in uh, AP classes and honor classes. So it, it's just crazy because we talk about like underlying racial inequality and how it is shown in education, and this is a big thing. And Kenya's mom was telling us about um, people of color and their interpretation of Granby and their hesitation towards. Uh, wanting to teach in Granby and we so we were like having a whole discussion and my mom like she had some family friends who were interested in moving to Granby and um my mom's like oh it's a great school system like very nice people blah 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 and we've lived here now if I'm 18 we've lived here for 16 years so um and my dad is the biggest Granby fan you can ever imagine so like my parents love the town and um so my mom's telling this family about it and 
they were like, oh, I don't really know. And mom was like, well, why would you say that? Like, why do you have that perception of Granby? And um, it's very interesting, I think, because we've grown up in the town. Um, but when people, especially minorities, look in on Granby, they see that it's a predominantly white town. And it's so interesting how that, that one fact about a whole place can completely change everything. Um, so I think it's really circling back to Education Unlimited. I think it's really cool how you are um, really just honing in on those groups who maybe feel like they're not welcomed or yeah, like they're okay. not seen in the education system throughout our nation and like in our town and um, yeah, just like education is like, you need education to live. You really do. And the fact that some people are denied that because of simple, small, minuscule things, um, no matter what it is, is really sweet applaud you on doing that and yeah I think it's really inspirational Thanks, definitely so looking towards the future um any do you have any like do you what do you plan education unlimited going where um honestly my friend um what no not even my well she is my friend but a co-founder um <laughs> has um, a lot of ties to Hartford Public Schools. My mother has some ties to Bloomfield Public Schools and they are like well-known as areas that need a lot of attention right now because of just the way, um, the level of education that their students are getting is not up to par at this point. And um, I think that's where we're gonna head. Um, yeah, trying to work within those types of schools and help those types of students. But also I could be working within Granby as well, Miss Patton, as you know, she, um, she reached out a little while ago. So um, they have a- Mini task force? Yes. And so um, maybe I'll help, I'll work with them as well. But it's just really working within schools, working in tandem with educators and trying to do the things that need to be done. Now, let as me ask you this. We talked about how you want to go into law and that's something you're really interested in as well as education and education equality. Are there any, is there anything rather that can be done in legislation wise to combat this issue? Yeah, there are a whole lot of things that can be done, but a lot of people will not like the answers that I'm going to give. So I say this as in, this is something that can be done, but it's not necessarily something that has to be done. Maybe there are other forms, but to be completely honest, I think right now, the only way to combat education inequality completely is to end, like, I don't know how to say this in a nice way. Just say it, we're not Just nice. Just say it. <laughs> Just say it. <laughs> We already gave the disclaimer that we weren't dissing necessarily everybody, but this is just to be frank. Yeah, like, okay, so Connecticut, as in, okay, the reason that we have education inequality is because education is funded by our taxes. So people who live in higher income areas obviously are going to pay more taxes towards their overall community. Um, this means that lower income people are going to have low funded schools by default. 
Um, in order to stop this, I think taxes need to go directly to the state level and then can be distributed evenly throughout the school systems. I think that sounds, people might say, okay, that's like a socialistic property, but in all honesty, it's within our state and no kid deserves to have free public education that is less than what is the average. Like it doesn't make sense. If it's free public school education. It should be all the same. At least equal Right. There should be no, there can be small disparities. Obviously things are going to differ based on like home life and all these other factors that are affecting them, but there should be no ginormous gaps. And we have ginormous gaps right now. And we have a very big difference within funding. You know what? I actually never really thought about that. That sounds so bad. I never thought about just taking it to the state level and our taxes and just, you know, distributing it equally, but it makes sense to do that. And it, yeah, like you said, it might sound, may sound crazy to people because people are greedy. Like we talked in our last (laughs) podcast. Um, but honestly share the wealth. If we want to be known as one of the best places to get an education, we have to show that we can do it across the board. And the only way we can do that is by giving, uh, almost as equally as possible, the same education. And in order to do that, you need funding. Right. And if you're going to say, I want the argument to eventually be that the disparity is between private schools and public schools, not within public schools. There shouldn't be, that just doesn't make sense. Exactly. It doesn't make any sense. And the other way that you can do it is by making entirely new schools that are in between districts, and people will have to, everyone will just be bused in to a school, except for the people that are the closest to that town, I guess. But that was another thing that was brought up in one of my political science courses that we could all just have general schools in between districts. But I think that that would cost a lot more money just because you'd have to build schools. So yeah, I think the yeah. option one is probably. <laughs> with the to- with with the taxes, well, with the taxes, um, I like, don't know how taxes work, which I probably should, seeing as I pay them. That's but, another um, thing wrong with the education system. <laughs> we aren't taught about anything. Screwing us um, over. It like when you say it, like I really, it's kind of like duh. Like I don't understand like the fact that. I mean, okay, sure, there might be more in depth to it, yeah. but at the basis, like at the most basic level, I don't really see the reasoning as to why it hasn't been done yet. And I think like Bella said, it is just greediness and it's just really sad, but people, the biggest um, issue that people have with it is that it's automatically going to lower the value of your home um, because of the fact that school directly impacts the value of your home. The reason that people are allowed in Granby to like, price homes that aren't really that nice at like $400,000 is because we have a good education system. (laughs) So um, as soon as you make education, even throughout homes, decrease in value automatically. That's interesting. I thought it would would make sense if they increased in value if the education was brought up to par. Um, But perhaps that would turn people away. Mm. But at the same time, People say that people are leaving Connecticut all the time, but you know what? I see in Grammy living 
almost every day people saying just moved here what what's the best pizza i'm like please <laughs> what's the best pizza <laughs> that was literally a post the other day i was like, like two days ago Girl, yeah. there is no good pizza i don't know what to tell you <laughs> i remember that post okay well thank you so much jalen um our fine so our quote for today is by Malcolm Forbes, um, the entrepreneur who started the For- Forbes magazine and everything. And it is, the purpose of education is to replace an empty mind with an open one. Um, I really like this um, quote because I know that when I was younger and it's starting to change, especially now that I'm training to become an educator, but I always felt like I was being just taught, like I did not see the purpose of behind the education. Like these are just the facts that you need to know. And I didn't really like that. But when you have teachers like our dear English teacher, who Linda, shout out to you. Um, (laughs) When you have um, educators like that one and others that really don't just teach just for you to learn information, but to really make you think in a different way um, is much more impactful for sure than just here's the history facts here's the science facts yeah any final thoughts anyone thank you for having me thank you Um, and lastly if you want to support us and our nonprofit uh nourish my soul you can go to our instagram or facebook as well as the from the ground up instagram or our website which is nourishmysoul.org. And donate or hit the like, give us a suggestion. Um, Really anything helps. Um, And you can support Education Unlimited by? Um, Going to our Instagram page, Education Unlimited Inc. At Education Unlimited Inc. And um, we have a GoFundMe link there. Um, also, we're working on a website, so stay you in touch. to come. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Jalen. Thank you. Okay. All righty, folks. It's been That's all. a blast. <laughs> a lovely day and um, change the world. Yeah. Go get them, Tiger. <laughs>